You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 414, hooray for English cricket, but boo for all the freeloaders. Bob Dylan and the art of communication and extreme cleaning with Naomi Campbell. That's all coming up after the icicle works and love is a wonderful colour.
love is a wonderful colour until everything goes wrong and dark, dark clouds descend upon your day. Wait, what am I saying? That's no way to start an upbeat podcast. Still going <laughs> strong and touring across the UK this coming autumn from their first album. Uh, this was a single that reached number 15 here in the UK. The Icicle Works and Love is a Wonderful Colour. That is glorious. Mm. I do like that. I, I first came across that on an excellent compilation called, I think it was literally called Alternative 80s, and it was a two-CD two job, and it had stuff like that and Dream Academy oh, and yes. Prefab Sprout and all, basically anything from the 80s that was pretty good that they could get the licensing rights for was on that <laughs> CD. So they included that, and I, I really like that. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 414, 414. I'm Terence Stackham, and here is the Ben Stokes, the Megan Rapinoe of podcasting. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. I, I, I have to say, I've got to do a Megan and just stand with my arms aloft for <laughs> the whole podcast, I think. That will work well in an audio medium. Hello, everyone. Um, a, f- a few months ago, I happened to notice a tweet from a well-known presenter on mm. weekly daytime radio 2, in which he pub published a photo of himself grinning and also in the tweet saying thank you to one of his BBC colleagues who'd given him a ticket for one of those hard-to-get-into gigs at the lovely Ah. BBC Radio Theatre, yes, in Broadcasting House. Um, In recent times, they've hosted special gigs by Paul McCartney, Elton, Rod Stewart, Robbie Williams. You kind of get the idea. Now, the BBC Theatre only holds 312 seats. You can imagine how much competition there is to get into Mm. these gigs. So it struck me to consider... whether it was fair for a BBC person to grant free access to one or more of his BBC mates. And this came back to mind this week for me when I was watching the final of the Cricket World Cup. Still haven't recovered uh, from that, by the way. Well, no, will, will any of us ever recover? Oh, no. That's amazing. Well, I was watching on television because tickets sold out ages and ages ago. Mm. Unless... I did wonder if you might be there, actually. Oh, no, no. Just... In, your, in your club tie. Yes, indeed. We, we looked out for you on the television <laughs> but didn't see you. Well... It was sold out unless you're the Secretary of State for Health, Matt Hancock, who we could Mm. see in the front row of some corporate box uh, chatting away with former Prime Minister John Major. And, oh, look, there's the smug, grinning visage of Piers Morgan in the next-door box. Jules, ordinary mortals can't get into these events, but there's plenty of freeloaders who can. And this week you found a column by somebody who is also perturbed by the people given free access to the platinum seats. Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm going to slightly... I can't believe I'm, I, we, we live in this world now, but apparently we do, or I'm about to defend John Major very slightly and say hmm. that John Major is a genuine cricket fan. So I would like to take him away slightly from uh, from the freeloader sort of um, sort of culture because I do think that John Major will probably be there anyway. But yes, this excellent article by Adrian Childs. Again, words I didn't think I would say because <laughs> I've never been a, a huge fan of his. But this every single word of this in The Guardian, I completely agree with this um he I, I like the byline here long-suffering cricket fanatics would have given their right stumps for a ticket but instead lords was full of corporate clients on a jolly and basically the whole the thing that i like about this article is that it has self-awareness which again was something i wouldn't necessarily have associated with adrian charles but he but it is a really good article in that he says that he really wanted to go to watch it that he is a long-term cricket fan he's watched county cricket he's 
fought tooth and nail for test match tickets. Um, he's, he's, you know, really into it. But yet he feels that relative to his cricket fanatic friends, he he wouldn't have been worthy of a ticket for the final compared to them, which I think is, is mm. admirable in its kind of self-awareness. He said that he would have felt guilty that he was there while they wasn't, that well, they weren't, sorry, not wasn't. Apologies for the poor grammar there. But um, <laughs> but he, I, I think it's a really good kind of paragraph that just sums it up, really. He says, I get the need for the organisers to generate revenue by courting the corporate shilling. And yes, I've been on the receiving end of lavish corporate hospitality myself more than once. But a balance has to be struck. If the passion of too many genuine fans is being discharged yelling at televisions instead of at the field of play, the game will be poorer for it. And I think he's absolutely right. I, it's, it's, do you remember Roy Keane's rant about the prawn yes, indeed. many yes. years ago at Old Trafford? And I think there's a danger of this here. I mean, again, full and frank disclosure, I have experienced corporate hospitality once in my life. We went. To, I was taken to Brighton by an insolvency practitioner to see Brighton and Hove play in the Premiership. They beat, no, it wasn't the Premiership. It's before they'd gone up. They beat Norwich, I think. And we had a very pleasant day. But having said that, it wasn't exactly lavish. I mean, they brought, it was, it was very pleasant and it was nice not to have to pay, but they brought us lunch and it was burger and chips in a basket. So it wasn't exactly sort of prawn prawn and lobster and, and, and grand thing. And, and, and we sat in seats that was sort of, they were padded, I think, which is what made them corporate. But we, we sat in the sort of the ground. I I find it offensive, like Adrian Charles, that you get, and, and particularly, like you say, the example you give of the radio theatre as well is a really good mm. one, I think. The idea that, you know, people and again adrian charles talks about in, about this in the article people who don't have a lot of interest in it that will sit there chatting throughout as matt hancock appeared to do the the the, the fact that they are there and that people who would absolutely love to be there are not i think is is you know frustrating and also self-defeating ultimately because i think it will put people off because i think people will eventually get bored with watching stuff on tv and and you know and, and i think that, that ultimately it will defeat the game because I think as we discussed previously if you get rows and rows of empty seats of people not being there that doesn't make for a good atmosphere when you watch it on telly and I, on telly and I think eventually people will switch off yes actually speaking yes that's reminded me I mentioned before some time ago one of the I think the starkest examples of this whole corporate stuff can be seen it mm. can be seen regularly at Wembley uh, where, how, how yes. football executives they, they must rue the decision to put thousands of hospitality seats directly yeah. opposite the main television cameras well absolutely so, that was such a stupid decision it really was the impression is given all around the world is that thousands of people can't be bothered to get to their seats and particularly after half time and that impression is spot on because that's exactly what is happening it could be the most dramatic game of football ever seen but thousands of corporate people choose to stay inside with uh, no view of the game and, and drink their champagne and stuff their faces with volivants and those em- th- those empty seats uh, are not a good look and i'm guessing other people um at home watching on tv are thinking rather as we i did when i was watching matt hancock at the cricket final um real fans can't get into this game but the chair of some dismal company or other can't be bothered to you know you can't be bothered to leave his champagne flute for 45 minutes to watch a game that will mean everything to real supporters that's the real essence of it i think 
yeah no I, I couldn't agree more frankly it's 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 you know so self-defeating ultimately because i think mm. it will drive people away coming next communication breakdown with dylan in high park <laughs> are you here all week i hope so <laughs> <laughs> um that's next right after hair and hoof i was a scientist in 1892 i was a scientist and this is what i knew I was a scientist, I was a scientist, or was I, or was I, or was it, was it true? scientist in 1981 I was no scientist and nothing had begun I was no scientist I was no scientist I wasn't I wasn't it wasn't it wasn't true I, at least one of the band is a friend of mine but they are I, I really enjoy this this bunch they um there aren't enough kind of uh, uh, sort of themed concept rock rock bands anymore and I, I love how out of time they are um this comes from a, a, an album of theirs called the terror of melton which again is a sort of it tells a bit of a story generally they they've had some success they just very recently i think it was last week done their second session for mark riley on six music and I, I've had the pleasure of seeing them live as well. And they, the first, they do their sort of early stuff in the first half of the show. And then they all go off and leave lots of kind of synths and things playing and all come back in matching coloured jumpsuits, different <laughs> coloured jumpsuits. And they started with this song, that section. And I, I just, I love how glam and kind of strange this is really. This was the hair and hoof. And I was a scientist, brackets, 1892, close brackets. Um, Shindig magazine described hair and hoof as 
the most bonkers and brilliant thing you'll hear this year and i think it's hard to to disagree with that they're (laughs) really really good handful of gigs uh, scheduled for this year heron hoof uh, the first of which is august 25th at uh, a festival in suffolk yeah now a few months back when it was announced that bob dylan was playing hyde park in london this summer lucy jones in the uh, uk newspaper the independent wrote Mm. about her experience seeing bob dylan live here in the uk back in 2012 and she wrote Mm. i'll quote now i could barely make out the lyrics of his growl and some tunes were unrecognizable for a while at times he sounded like a demented pub singer with a throat infection who'd had a few too many shandies end of quote now that's quite the description and that was referring to a gig seven years ago well recently jules and i we both re-evaluated bob and came to the conclusion that at least back in the 60s and 70s and we, we talked about the rolling thunder review movie that he was yes. he was both influential and inspirational and more so than either of us had really considered before yes i think that's right so this week bob dylan co-headlined hyde park with neil yeah. young and it was it seems a strange experience he doesn't play guitar any longer um arthritis i think and here's mm. the thing for the entire gig Dylan didn't speak one single word, not even hello or goodbye, no chat between mm. songs, nothing. Ticket prices ranged from £72.80 to £335.94. Love, love the 94 pence. As we, <laughs> yeah, remember. exactly. If it had been 99, people would have been priced <laughs> But Jules, um, had you been there, to quote John Lydon, ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Well, I wouldn't have been on the basis that I wouldn't have been surprised that Bob Dylan behaved like that because mm. surely Bob Dylan's latter-day reputation precedes him. Um, I, I have um, pals that did go up, actually, and, and spoke to them about it you know, a few days afterwards, mm. and everyone basically agreed that Neil Young was fantastic at this gig and that people very much enjoyed him rolling out all the hits and, and having, a, having, a great, having a great time playing one new song, played for an hour and a half, um, and uh, he, they said that their favourite Neil Young quote from the from the evening was, "I've never played in daylight before, so it's great to see everybody," which is so <laughs> so sweet. That you get different types of types of stage performer. There are some people that are very chatty. I've been to see Bell and Sebastian quite often, kind of Stuart Murdoch's wandering flights of fancy, and occasionally improvised covers with with Stevie Jackson that are very much part of their show. Uh, my favourite artist, PJ Harvey. I've been to see her a few times, and she. She is not a big chatter between songs by and large. She doesn't really say very much, but she is. She does always. She quite often says thank you after people play songs, and she usually thanks the support band if there has been a support band. So she kind of. She's not a very sort of chatty person, but she does. I, th- I think acknowledge the fact that the crowd is there, and that is the key thing, isn't it? Really. Whereas, mm. whereas the for someone to be silent throughout. You almost feel like saying, well, even if you are extremely nervous, I mean, I saw Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanahan, mm. Isabel Campbell, formerly Ben and Sebastian, Mark Lanahan, basically of sort of everybody, really, I think, from mm. the 90s. They did um, uh, three albums together, I think, in total, that were very much in the Lee Hazelwood, Nancy Sinatra kind of vein. And they're, they're worth checking out if people haven't. They're really good. And they played at the Delaware Pavilion in Bexhill in October. It was not a brilliantly attended gig which was a shame but Isabel Campbell had not really been performing very very live very much at this point and I remember them coming on and she was so nervous about being on stage that she actually spent the first 10 minutes of the gig 
sideways on to the audience and oh, then dear. very gradually turned herself round during the first two songs and then eventually once she kind of got over that initial sort of fright did chat a bit between songs so I have some sympathy for people mm. who, who oh, find it extremely so. nervous to be on stage I don't believe that Bob Dylan feels no. like that frankly and the general impression I get from Bob Dylan nowadays particularly on the um, the Nobel Prize how graceless he was in his kind of speech accepting that Nobel Prize to which I felt like saying going back to our honours list conversation <laughs> either accept it properly mm. or don't accept it at all is my view mm. and I'm not surprised that he's kind of grumpy and entitled on stage frankly and it does seem extra I just think it's rude really it seems quite discourteous to me unless it is a sort of a stage frighty thing like Isabel Campbell mm. I do have a bit of an issue I know that different singers have different personalities but to not even say thank you at the end i think mm. is pretty is pretty poor really and you know yes you might want to let the music do the talking but i think you should at least acknowledge that the audience is there i'm happy with pj harvey saying virtually nothing but hello thank you and thanking the support band that's fine she's acknowledging that we're here i i yeah i have some issues with dylan on this yeah so of course on the other hand yeah that's right so dylan's lack of communication i don't want some terrible on stage patter and attempts at lols no. either I, I can remember a, a, a terrible album released in the 1970s very possibly the worst album ever committed to vinyl well, that, that is a, that is that's a quite a statement claim. You need yeah. to this up now. it was it was called um having fun with elvis on stage and all it <laughs> all it consisted of was 30 odd minutes of um, often rather peculiar banter from oh, Elvis God. from his live shows. No music, just the between the songs, jokes, that is and bants. It's a strange album, isn't mm. it? That, I bet that goes for money online because it just Probably seems does, like such yeah. an old curio. Yeah, it was just it hit him sort of with the audience and the you know the boys in the band, and it was excruciating. I, I, I by the way, I, I checked it is on YouTube. So if you seek oh, thirty minutes of cringe-inducing badinage <laughs> and confused repartee, uh, having fun with Elvis on stage is the album for you. Yeah, of course. We should show understanding and kindness, I suppose, to these heritage acts like Dylan and Neil Young as they get older and older. And we suppose we need to manage our expectations. Yeah, but with tickets sure. at £335.94, yes. you, you might expect Dylan... He, I think yeah, you kind of said it, really. He might manage just to say, thanks for coming, at the very yeah. least. And Absolutely. I was just thinking, you know, we, we may not be too far away from a time when these older rock stars are unable to actually play because as I say Bill, Dylan can't play guitar anymore and if they right. can't actually play or sing on stage we, 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 I, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we end up just turning up to stare and wave at them for an hour or so Not at 335.94 I completely agree that I, I went to see Brian I think we've talked about it on the podcast before it comes up from time to time I went to see Brian Wilson mm. about three years ago I now, now I think doing um doing pet sounds of what will most likely be the last time yes. and I, I it was him and Al Jardine and uh, and Al Jardine's son I think were the sort of the Beach Boys link and um and I kind of went because I thought it would probably be the last time I would get to see it and we went he was playing as part of a festival he was headlining a day festival in Brighton so we paid £65 for tickets I mean we didn't go for the rest of the day but I didn't think that was unreasonable and even Brian Wilson who 
is sometimes not quite there, if mm. you see what I mean. Even he managed a bit of on-stage banter, and, and you know, I know there was a teleprompter for him to sing links, but even he managed to at least acknowledge that the audience was there. He talked about the fact that there were fairground rides in the background. I didn't feel he was reading off a script. I felt he was present, in, and, and how ironic that poor old Brian Wilson should be more present at a gig than Bob Dylan. <laughs> yes, yes, that's very true. Coming right up, uh, the mm. antithesis of Stella McCartney, the extraordinarily, um, the extraordinary cleaning regime of Naomi Campbell. <laughs> um, That's a great name for a band. I would be in that band. The extraordinary cleaning, cleaning regime, regime of, of Naomi, Naomi Campbell. Campbell. I think I'd play keyboards. That's up right after this new track from Serati Korwa. I'm running, running like thoughts, running from thoughts, rattling from the constant battling. Broken pieces, floating tokens Token gestures, token jester Open sesame, Alibaba Forty thieves, forty grievances Nothing to pledge allegiance with Trapped in a box, ballerina chopped off Place a bangra man Dance, monkey dance To the music of the snake charmer I am Karma, I am Karma Sutra, I am Nitta Hone Hone Hoye Muttaya Mundiyatta Bachkira Hindi You were lost. I hope you found yourself. I'm slum dog millionaire, downward dog, eight headed god. I'm Shiva, Al Qaeda. I am auditioning for the role of terrorist one. Yeah, I can do that in an Arabic accent. I'm Ganges, I am Gandhi, I am Jinnah, I am Five Pillars, I am Sinner. I am cinnamon, I am cardamom, I am not invited to the Houses of Parliament. I'm Sharif, don't like it, rock the Casbah, stop the fatwa. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah. I am England, I am England shirt made in Bangladesh, I am Britain. I'm Curry House of the year 2005, I'm Rogan Josh. I'm so damn lost I'm so damn lost
I think we can very genuinely say that's a fusion of sound. He has a new album. Mm, I love it very much. He has a new album out on the 26th of July. The album is called More Arriving. And that was a track from it. That was Serati Korwa and Bol. Now, uh, oh, oh, by the way, there's an excellent video to a a company bowl that highlights um, racial stereotyping and issues around integration. And somehow I felt uh, this playing this track would be pertinent in a week where the president of the United States made some awkward, awkward uh, comments on on that issue. Mm. Um, Well, it was it was only in the yeah it was the last episode of the podcast that we pondered upon Stella McCartney's rather unusual approach to cleaning, particularly yeah, her so that clothing. She doesn't really do it exactly. I think that was the, that that was her approach, <laughs> just just not to approach it. I think uh, that's right. Just uh, just carry on, um, just carry on wearing would be uh, her her remit. Um, as if by magic, this week uh, a video has gone viral featuring Naomi Campbell, who turns out to be the yin to Stella's yang when it comes oh, to cleaning. God, I have to say, I, I so, so, so enjoyed this video. I can't stop watching it. Yeah, essentially, we see Naomi get onto a plane and she turns left, of course. And yes, of course. And then undertakes a vigorous hygiene routine that sees her wearing latex gloves um <laughs> use hygiene wipes to clean the armrest the remote the tray everything she might touch then she covers the seat with her own seat cover then she puts on a mask over her mouth and i'm rather impressed with the whole regime but jules um would you in fact do you replicate naomi's routine everywhere you go i mean i don't and oh. i like that i oh. have to say i was Bizarrely, for so Naomi Campbell has a reputation for throwing phones at people and generally being quite badly behaved. I think. Yeah. Having said that, I was charmed by her in this yes. video. I can't explain why. It was. I, I, there, there are so many highlights as well. <laughs> it almost could have been a scripted comedy. The fact that she goes in to buy chocolates at the beginning and says, "I'm getting this and I don't care." I did for a moment feel some kinship with Naomi Campbell, which I hadn't <laughs> quite expected. And the fact that the woman next to her on the plane says, "Can you do my scene next?" That is. That so I, I mean I'm, I'm charmed by this and the thing that I mean obviously that the huge caveat to that to this of course is like you rightly say she turns left at the beginning mm. Naomi Campbell can afford to do this she can afford to be in a kind of a semi-private area that gives you the chance to do this I think if you try to do this on a commercial budget easy jet flight <laughs> the people around you will probably react somewhat differently I suspect um, and of course you know she she gets given allowances to do so in a way that perhaps a family from Bolton sitting next to me wouldn't give me any allowances because no one knows who I am, frankly, whereas Naomi Campbell is sort of famous and people I say sort of famous, she's very famous and people can do what they want, but I kind of admire her really for for the, actually the, the sort of to, to then turn that on its head if you're famous everyone's looking at you all the time aren't they even if you mm. are in in posh class people are looking at you all the yes. time and i kind of admire her for just thinking do you know what i'm just going to do this anyway even if in the age of a camera phone people take pictures of me doing this i'm still going to do it and if that's what helps her feel comfortable then why not frankly i mean there is the caveat that you know she can do that because she is rich and famous but if that's how she wants to do do it, why not? Anyone that has their own seat cover for the plane is <laughs> is you know the fact that she has different colours as well is quite nice. She uh, she wants to uh, she has uh, she gets ha- her seat cover hand washed at the hotel and she says they have different colours colours that make you happy. Turquoise, whatever she says. I'd like to see the colour of whatever personally. That that would be I don't know what a beige I presume I don't know. Anyway, she chose one in hot pink for the fly that we saw. So so I enjoyed that very much. 
I, I, I just, I, I don't know why I'm so charmed by this. I mean, she's rich and famous and, you know, and can do this when the rest of us can't. But I just enjoyed this. It really made me laugh. I'm already halfway to being Naomi. Everywhere <laughs> I go, um, I take a miniature bottle of antibacterial hand uh, gel. Yeah, and if I'm eating out, I won't touch a thing until I've smeared my hands very liberally with this gel. And I've certainly been known to wipe down a restaurant table with napkins, even though it's just been clean. So uh, I'm, like, like you, I'm not sure I'd have the total self-confidence to go to the extremes Naomi Campbell does on the airplane, but I rather wish I did. And I admire her for it. And I, mm. the, the, my sort of uh, summary of it is, I think I'd rather travel with Naomi Campbell than Stella McCartney. <laughs> well, me too, frankly, yes. I'd, I... I, I have a very low tolerance, or rather, I have a very high tolerance of kind of mess and disorder around oh, me. I'm no. not, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a slob, but I'm nearer to the slob end of the scale than I am the OCD scale end of the scale. So I suspect I'm slightly more Stella and you're slightly more Naomi. Mm. But um, yes, I, yeah, I like you say, I, I, I somehow feel that Naomi, Naomi's approach might be healthier for us all. Well, this week our executive producer Hilly was on BBC Radio Four. And they she just, was, yes. She was. And they just can't keep you off Radio 2, Jules. Oh, it's true. Associates of Terence Dacken mm. have had yet another very good week, um, performance-wise. Yes, I'm back on Radio 2. Uh, we're recording this actually today on a Saturday, the uh, whatever it is. 20th. July. Is it the 20th of July? 20th yeah, of I, I feel in my heart it is. Mm. So this Saturday, the 20th of July, I will be back um, participating in the Couch Potatoes quiz once again on Ryland's show um, on Radio 2, which is excellent fun. I would recommend that you listen to the show from the very start, which is 3 o'clock, and I will be wandering along to defend my title at about half past four, I reckon. Oh, yes. Uh, any any other exciting events with you this week? Um, well, the Beatwave Festival is going on mm. in Hastings this weekend. If you are in the local area, it is worth coming to uh, the Pigs Palace in Hastings on the seafront to see lots of excellent bands and DJs over the, mm. uh, over the next week. Um, and um, I'm, uh, I'm also shortly going on my holiday next week. I'm quite excited about that. And uh, I must send a shout-out, as young people mm. would say, to the excellent Or Synthesizer Club show that I enjoyed on Thursday night. They played the 1969 Moon Landing special one-off show that they'd done, and there was a, it was sort of visuals and music in which they retold the story of the 1969 Moon Landings with the added detail of a... Um, gentleman a gentleman carpenter called george peacock who was actually they claim the first person to land on the moon from ore um, and beat the americans there but unfortunately his spark plugs didn't dry out in time and he was not able to he missed the ticker tape parade so he was secretly the first man to land on the moon it was slightly bonkers and it was slightly it was extremely charming mm-hmm. i very much enjoyed it and uh, the switch palace the support band were excellent as well Thanks very much for listening. It's much much appreciated. Yes, and, always. Thank you. Uh, that's more than Bob Dylan would say to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big thanks also to Rona and Hilly and um, a track always, from yes. yeah a track from an album that was number one in the UK in 1999. Jules. Yes, indeed. I can't believe that's mm. 20 years old. That's sobering, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yes, track track from the extended version of this album. It was originally a B side and is and is now i think on expanded versions of 13 because the blur did an extensive reissue uh, campaign a few years ago um so the the original tune is called bugman and it was the second song on 13 their 1999 album by blur but 
each member of the band for the b-sides to one of the singles i think no distance left to run was the single these are the b-sides for they they gave each member of the band the opportunity to remix the track themselves and they all are wildly different i think we might have played the damon albarn version previously which sounds weirdly like gorillas the band that he went on mm. to form about a year later i am hugely enjoying this alex ver- alex james remix version um by his own uh, admission it is extremely camp and i've really picked it for its spaces the place frame because uh, because we are living the space life at the moment 50 years of the moon landing and it's absolutely everywhere and I, i'm enjoying the kind of throbbing nature of this so this is alex james's version of bug man by blur
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>